1: And hello, Royals fans. I am glad you are along. It's Devo on another edition of Clubhouse Conversation. This is the place where we catch up with all your favorite current and former Royals players. And we do it year-round every week, so we hope you'll subscribe to us. On iTunes, you can have all the episodes automatically downloaded into your iTunes. Clubhouse Conversation on there. You can follow us on Twitter at Royals Clubhouse. Facebook, Clubhouse Conversation, and of course, here on the website, check it out multiple times a week for what's new at clubhouseconversation.com. And today I'm excited to catch up with one of my favorite Royals relief pitchers of all time, Rusty Meacham, a guy who pitched here in KC from 1992 to 1995, and boy, oh boy, we have lots of memories to talk about and reminisce about with Rusty Meacham, a guy that appeared in 164 games out of the Royals' bullpen with a 3.79 ERA, had some fantastic years here, like 92. That first year, he came over after being waived by the Tigers, but gets here in 92, goes 10-4 and 4 with a 2.74 ERA out of the pen. Had like a 0.4 ERA into June that year. was amazing, rattling off all the scoreless innings in a row. We'll talk all about that. All his years in KC. And then after the Royals, he went on to pitch for the Mariners, the Astros, the Rays. But we'll to all those stops. He pitched independently, was a pitching coach. So much to get for as Rusty Meachum joins us now on Clubhouse Conversation. First of all, Rusty, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. And second of all, how's everything going with you?
0: Oh, it's my pleasure to join you. It's going good. I'm uh, involved in an academy back here and with a couple other former players back here in my hometown of Stewart, Florida.
1: Very nice. So you're giving back to the game of baseball. How enjoyable is that?
0: Oh, it's awesome. You can help a young kid, uh, you know, get better in the game and not just get better uh, physically, but uh, help them mentally also.
1: And I know you've helped out, too, uh, with a book a few years ago called The Physics of Pitching. So how does it feel to, you know, be in Barnes & Noble in the Library of Congress? You know, that gets kind of cool, right?
0: Oh, it is. You know, it's it's awesome. And, you know... uh, Why I get a chance here, I was thinking about this the other day. I want to hope you're listening out there. I want to thank Jeff Montgomery and Mark Gubaza for all the help they gave me when I was a young player to teach me how to be a professional on and off the field. So thank you to both of you guys.
1: Yeah, of course, of course. We'll get into more of that here in a little bit, too. Um, One other thing I wanted to ask you about randomly. Now, is it true that you can do an awesome Elvis impersonation? Is that true?
0: It's true. Actually, he's my all-time idol, and uh, I used to uh, try to – beat him when i was a young kid my dad and mom used to shine a flashlight on me and i'd sing all the songs i know every song he's ever written probably word for word
1: really can you give us a vocal impersonation right now
0: oh it's kind of hard right now i have a bad voice because i've been talking too much oh, yeah. okay
1: fair enough fair plus enough
0: plus i'm uh i'm nervous more nervous now talking than i uh was playing
1: Yeah, well, I hear you. (laughs) I hear you. So before we take a step back in time then, too, I wanted to ask you one more question about 2015 then. How exciting was it for you seeing your old team, the Royals, in their second straight World Series and taking it this year? Did you watch quite a bit of the games?
0: I I did, and uh, it it was awesome because I was at the World Series last year. So, uh, you know, again, you get there and and you fall a little short. I think it makes you hungrier the following year. It's just good to see them. You know, finally win it after 30 years. And, you know, what a great great city and great fans. They deserve it.
1: Now, how come you were back here just as a fan, or were you here with, with some other reason last year?
0: No, I went back as a fan to watch the World Series. I, I got alumni tickets, and I sat up there with Danny Jackson.
1: Awesome, That's great. great. So it was
0: a fun time for me
1: absolutely well we will talk more about uh, your royals days coming up here in a bit but i want to go back and learn about you and the the good old days there in stewart florida so you're born and raised there you went to martin county high school and was baseball pretty much always your number one your best sport and your favorite sport growing up
0: It's, it's kind of funny it was yeah but i played a lot of other sports um i tried i played football and you know i never was a big guy a lot of people uh realize that when they see me make my debut but uh I remember lining up in a Jamboree game and I looked across the way, I was a split-in wide receiver, and I looked across the way over there and I seen how big that guy was over there on the other side and I said this is my last game <laughs> so I chose to stick with baseball and I'm glad I did.
1: <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Yeah. And, and did you go to a lot of uh, you know Florida State League games and, and spring trainings growing up there in, in Stuart then?
0: You know, It's that's, that's funny you say that. I used to go to pretty much all the Vero Beach Dodger games and I would go there basically just to chase the foul balls, and I remember uh, several times coming home at night with like eight baseballs in my uh, on my dashboard, uh, the happiest kid in the world.
1: Did you keep any oh, of them?
0: I kept them all, and I basically used them for batting practice. Oh, okay.
1: <laughs> That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. And Funny. who were some of the young guys you got to see, you know, see play back then with Zero Beach? Anybody that went on to a big uh, career?
0: Man, I remember guys like one guy that really sticks out my mind was Wayne Kirby.
1: Oh, yeah. He was
0: now the first base coach for the Orioles, I believe.
1: And a guy that you faced, I'm sure, right, later on?
0: Uh, absolutely. I faced him, I think, when he was with Cleveland.
1: Yeah, yeah. Let's hitter. Hit Good guy. Um, so were the Dodgers your favorite team then? Did you have a favorite team? I guess there were no Marlins or Rays back then.
0: Uh, my favorite team was the Braves because uh, all we got back here with a, uh, was WTBS, and that was the Braves station. So I followed them. My favorite player of all time is Dale Murphy.
1: Oh, great one. Yeah, I love those 80s Braves teams as well. to watch
0: him and Bob Horner and all those guys.
1: Yeah. Well, from, from there then, you went to Indian River Community College in Fort Pierce. Now, what made you choose to go to school there? And then I'm wondering, so you're, you're getting out of high school. You're going to Indian River. Did you have, I mean, obviously every guy wants to play in the big leagues. Did you have any inclination? Did you think you were a prospect and you had a chance at that point?
0: Uh, I knew I wasn't the biggest guy in the world, but I knew I was going to make it. I, I was going to do everything in my power make it, it's what I've always dreamed of when I was a young kid. And and uh, it's funny, I was walking around up in Fort Pierce watching a game one night, and I had kind of verbally committed to uh, Palm Beach Junior College, and I seen a guy by the name of Mike Easton, who was walking around the park, and he comes up to me, he goes, uh, where are you going to school? And I go, I was kind of verbally committed to Palm Beach, but you know, I didn't sign anything, and he goes, well, uh, one of my players uh, signed, uh, I guess it was Ed Wojna, He ended up being a big-league catcher, I believe, and there was a scholarship open. So I chose Indian River, and uh, I'm thankful I did because I learned a lot from Mike Easton.
1: So were you already – is that where you started to throw sidearm? Where did that delivery come from? Was that back then or later on?
0: I kind of uh, started to throw a little bit, you know, uh, change different arm angles when I got to uh, college. And, you know, he helped me with a few things, where to stand on the rubber and stuff like that. And, you know, the one thing I always had was – I knew I wasn't the biggest guy in the world, but uh, you, you, you can't take somebody's heart from them. And I had the heart and the will to be the best I could be every day.
1: And while we're on that topic, refresh, uh, refresh us what pitches you threw. So, you know, what different ones did you have and where did you sit at and top out at, you know, mileage-wise?
0: I, I threw a two-seamer, four-seamer, slider, straight change, and my best pitch was a fork ball. And I changed arm angles and, you know, just tried to be aggressive try to pitch ahead and I don't know I was probably you know maybe 90 92 somewhere and I really didn't even worry about speed I just tried to be aggressive challenge hitters and you know keep the ball down and let my infielders uh, do the job behind me
1: yeah absolutely and then so from Indian River then the Tigers took you 33rd round of 1987 was that kind of the team that you expected to take you
0: I really didn't you know I I really didn't know what team was going to get me but they drafted me and then there was a control deal where they could make me an offer the following year or I go back in the draft and I went ahead and signed with the Tigers and then I got put on waivers I believe in 1992 it was and you know I was down because I had always you know put up the numbers for the Tigers and uh, I tell you what things happened for a reason and I got picked up uh, by the Royals and it was the best thing that ever happened for me I got to play under Hal McCray who uh, definitely is the best manager I've ever played
1: for. Absolutely, well, you hands st- down. Yeah, yeah, we loved Hal, and a great player too. So you, uh, oh. so going back then, you started your career '88. Then you were a starter those days, Bristol and Fayetteville. Uh, you won league MVP at Bristol. You led the league with nine wins. You had a one point four three ERA. You know, so w- was there a lot of homesickness that summer? What do you remember about that first summer in Bristol?
0: I remember uh, getting there, and I got a friend whose name is Benny Castillo. When I showed up uh, to Bristol, all the guys were there, like, making fun of me in Spanish. And my bud, because my buddy tells me today, he always talks about the story, and he goes, well, I wouldn't make fun of this guy because he's probably going to make it before all of us. <laughs> and, you know, when I got there, I put up the good numbers, and I didn't care what people thought about me. I was there for one reason, and that's to get the job done.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and you did. I mean, league MVP. Then 89, 15 games you won between Lakeland and Fayetteville. That was tops in the whole Detroit system. You had a 2.16 ERA. Then 1990 at London, which was A. you led the league with 15 wins and had nine complete games, three shutouts. You guys were Eastern League champions. You got to start the All-Star game. So, you know, there's no team there anymore, but how fun was London, Ontario?
0: Oh, awesome. I mean, I met a lot of good people that... Uh, lived there and I mean the fans were awesome. Uh, I was lucky enough to play for Chris Chambliss and uh, Daryl Evans was our hitting coach. so I mean we had some guys that uh, you know knew how to teach the game and uh, knew how to get the most out of their players so a uh, year I'll never forget.
1: 1991, of course, the same thing for you because you'd make your big league debut, Triple uh, A Toledo at first, and then you get called up in late June. So, you know, where were you at when you got that first call to the big leagues? You know, who told you? Where were you at? What was that moment like?
0: Actually, we were in uh, we were in Toledo, and uh, I believe the manager was uh, Sparks at the time. It's and uh, he called me in and said, you know, you're going up, and uh, they had uh, I think they had put Dan Petrie on the DL and Oh, man, special. You know, you work all that time uh, to to get to the big leagues, you know, the ultimate place to be. And, man, I arrived at Tiger Stadium, and, oh, just awesome. You know, you get there, and you see all these big guys, and here I'm this skinny, scrawny guy. But, man, when I got there, I just, you know, I believed in myself and my ability, and I got the opportunity to go out there, and uh, I won my major league debut against the Cleveland Indians.
1: Yeah, absolutely. What, seven innings, three runs? You know, that first game, were you just a lot of nerves there? Were you more excited? What was that like?
0: Oh, but nervous. I mean, uh, this is my thing. If a guy tells you he's never nervous out there when he toes the rubber, or plays a football game, basketball game, they're, they're, they're lying to you because when I'm not nervous, it's not natural, and it's time to shut it down. I've been nervous every game I've ever played. I still compete back home here. Uh, I play with Dante Bachette, who's a former big leaguer. We play in like a 45 and over men's senior league, and every time I take the mound, I'm nervous. It's only natural.
1: For real, like every mental league game:
0: Every big league game I ever played, and I was nervous before I got in there, and then once I got going, then the nerves went away. but absolutely.
1: Wow, that's that's interesting. One
0: hundred percent. It's only natural to have butterflies.
1: Yeah, makes sense. Now, I'm For sure you, I'm sure you probably know this. I like to ask pitchers this trivia question: Your first big league strikeout. Do you remember who it was? Brooke Jacoby. Got it. Yeah, that, that didn't take long. So you stayed up with the big league team the entire month of July, and then ended '91 with tig, you know ten big league games under your belt overall, four starts. What else? You know, before we talk about the Royals, what else sticks out about Detroit? Any other memories up there?
0: Just so, you know, playing for Sparky Anderson, uh, playing for uh, Ralph Truel, Jeff Jones, who basically I believe just retired um, here last year, and then I had uh, Steve Carter uh, up there, and uh, actually Steve Carter's up there in the big leagues, and I had him as a trainer when I was an A-ball. So just you know, a lot of good people that you know taught me the game and, and helped me out along the way.
1: Did you ever get to talk to Ernie Harwell Ernie at all?
0: Oh, all the time, man. Top-notch. Awesome. Top-notch guy. I have an awesome story in my rookie year in the big leagues, and I kind of kicked myself on the butt today for not doing it. I'm sitting on the bus in Baltimore. We're playing the Orioles, and the first guy walks on the bus here on this young rookie, Al K. line. He walks on the bus to me. He goes, hey, Rusty, do you need any suits, you know, to wear on the road trips? And me being this scared guy, I turned them down. You imagine if I would have taken those suits? <laughs> I would have had Al Line suits. <laughs>
1: yeah. Kicking yourself for years, right?
0: A legend. Awesome guy.
1: Yeah. So, following 91, uh, then the Tigers put you on waivers. Did that surprise you at that point?
0: It, it really did. It, it kind of disappointed me, you know, because I had done everything I was asked. As you were saying, I had won like, my goal was like to win 15 games every year, and I pretty much did that. And, you know, I I just wasn't in the plans, and again, it turned out for the best for me because I get picked up by KC and go on to have my best major league season.
1: Yeah, you did. You get to a good old baseball city, 1992. What do you remember about that complex, and what do you remember about that first spring training with your new teammates?
0: Oh, it was awesome. I mean, just being there with all those, you know, uh, veterans and um, baseball city, I remember it was like an amusement park at the time. And... Uh, I, I remember all the time uh, Jeff Montgomery, speaking to him again, I mean, probably one of the hardest workers I've ever seen. I remember when I go into the ballpark every day, I would see this guy jogging in from the street at like 7 o'clock in the morning. So, you know, some fond memories and that's why that guy was so successful because he had great work ethic.
1: Yeah, he loved to run, didn't he?
0: Oh, he ran and then I'd see him on the the bicycle like running, uh, riding it on 13 level for like Forty-five minutes. I mean, amazing
1: guy. <laughs> Another hard worker. So I walker. hope you're
0: listening out there, Jeff.
1: Yeah, he may, We talked to him a few weeks ago. He may be. Um, you're,
0: you're awesome, buddy. Thank you for what you did for me.
1: And then, uh, so you didn't break camp with the Royals in '92. You were supposed to be Omaha's fifth starter, but you were called up to KC before you ever pitched in a game for Omaha on April 14th. You know, what do you remember about being called up then?
0: I remember funny. I think we were in Louisville at the time, playing the Cardinals and. In- The coach comes up to me, I believe it was Jeff Cox at the time, he comes up to me, he goes, you're going to the big leagues, because I guess Luis Aquino hurt his shoulder. And you don't ever wish injuries upon anybody, but sometimes that's what it takes to get an opportunity. And I remember him telling me that, and then they come back to me and they go, it's on hold. So here I get all excited. (laughs) I'm going to get called up for the second time, which is more special than the first time, and it's on hold. So about a half hour later, he comes up to me and says, you're going. So I got called up that year, and it was the best year I've ever had. I mean, Hal McCray gave me the baseball. He believed in me, and I went out there and pitched aggressive. And, you know, we had lost like, I think, 100 games that year or quite a bit. And when you pitch good on not such a good team, it looks even better.
1: Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, you might have been the most pleasant surprise of that entire season, really. You went ten and four, leading the American League with reliever wins, two point seven four ERA, and this is pretty cool. So I love the stretch here. You gave up two runs in your first forty-four and two-thirds innings, and you had a stretch of twenty-seven scoreless innings. And your ERA as late as June eighth was zero point two eight. So I mean, man, what what a year, right? Yeah, you
0: know, and it's. You know, today, guys that put those numbers up in my role that I was in, they make the All-Star game now, you know. So I look back on it. I wish I could have had a chance to play in an All-Star game, but again – all my job is is to go out there and give my team a chance to win, and that's what I was able to do.
1: Yeah, and you had a Royals rookie record appearances of 64, a record there for that. And then uh, you mentioned Jeff Montgomery, you became his setup man as well. And then second in the league in reliever innings that year with 101 and two thirds, only Todd Froworth had more. I, I, that was pretty much your first year as a full time reliever, too. How was that? You know, was that an easy, obviously, adjustment for you? Uh, yeah, it's not
0: way. Anyway, easy in the big leagues i just think i was able to go up there and and do what i love to do pitch aggressive like i said move the ball in and out uh up and down and just keep hitters off balance and you know i had two great catchers and brent main and mike mcfarland and a great defense behind me that you know those are the keys to have success you have to have people that can field the ball and a great catcher to throw to and Coaches that believe me, like Bruce Keeson. Bruce Keeson was another instrumental guy in my career. He used to get on me all the time down in the bullpen and make sure I was paying attention to the game so I would know what I was doing when I went in there. You know, being a young guy, young rookie, you know, you don't know those things. And for somebody like Bruce Keeson, I mean, he was instrumental for me. He helped me uh, teach me how to prepare myself to go into games.
1: Well, that next year was going to be tough for you. Nineteen ninety-three, you appeared absolutely. In, yeah, just fifteen games, and you had the DL twice. You had the season-ending uh, June fourteenth ligament tear in your elbow. So, I mean, wh- what was that like? And, and how long have you been pitching? Hurt was that something you knew that wasn't right for quite a while, or something that just propped up the last second there? No,
0: nah, it had been it had been hurt. In, uh, you know, probably a couple weeks or so, and and uh, you know, I, w- I was a guy that loved to be in a game, and I never would, I never uh, would say if I was hurting I look back on it today, and if I ever did it again, I would tell him because I really got lucky to not damage my arm more. And I remember going out the. Uh, they sent me out to L.A. to get it checked, and Doctor Luis Yoakum looked at it. He goes, "Yeah, you got a slight little tear. You have two choices: you could rehab it, which means lift some weights for it and strengthen the, the ligaments around the uh, or the muscles around the ligaments or whatever." And I chose to do that. And my arm is still good today. I mean, I throw every day, and I have no problems with it.
1: Good, good. That That's very good. Uh, d- did you feel like, uh, you know, the transition and all the appearances after being a starter, or did, was that some of the stress, you think, or did, or just no idea what happened?
0: Well, I think, it, you know, I mean, uh, I'm not going to say it was anybody's fault because I'd love to take the ball, and I took the ball, and, you know, you got to speak up sometimes. But, you know, I pitched 101 in innings out of the bullpen, and that's a lot. Yeah. So – uh, you know, maybe maybe the innings, you know, taxi were taxiing on me. Uh, but you know, I'm the guy that took the ball, and you know, you got to speak up like if, if uh I'm a guy playing today and I'm I don't feel good out there or something's not right, you have to speak up. From experience,
1: absolutely. 93 last season for George Brett. Talk about what it was like playing with him, and and you know his last days as a player.
0: Oh, awesome. I mean, who who wouldn't have great things to say about that guy? I mean. I got to sit there on the bench, and I got to watch that guy, and I got to be part of his 3,000th career base hit out in Anaheim, California, and something I'll never forget, man. I mean, just great player. Um, He played the game the way it's supposed to be played. I remember he used to sit with me on the bus, and he told me, Rusty, my last at bat, I want to ground out in a second, see how close I make it. (laughs) That wasn't what he did, but uh, it was just kind of cool to hear that come from somebody, uh, his caliber.
1: Yeah. And how special was the night? He got 3,000, four hits there. I mean, what was that like? What do you remember oh, about that?
0: awesome. Yeah. I remember, I remember running in from the bullpen and the, uh, the bullpen was out in left field at the time. And I remember running in there and everybody get you know, jumping on him in a pile, just something, you know, you, you dream about that's for sure.
1: Yeah. Well, awesome. n- 94 was one of my favorite years. Uh, in Royals history, and much better for the team and for you as well. So individually, you had a three seven three, four 4 saves, 36 appearances, and as a team, you guys had rattled off 14 games in a row, you were sitting pretty, you, know, you and the Expos over there, you with know, a chance for the playoffs, the strike hits, and before we talk about the strike though, uh, and that, how much fun was that 94 season, and then do you agree with me? I, I've always believed you guys would have either won the division or for sure gotten a wild card. Do you agree with me on that?
0: I, I think so too, and you know, on that club, we had David Cohn. Yeah who won the Cy Young that year, I believe. Yep. And, uh, man, awesome. I mean, I thought we would have, and, you know, nobody wants to go on strike, and we all forfeited money, but you know what? We have what we have today because guys like myself and those guys that year fought for what we have today. And, you know, I know when I came up, uh, you had to have like three years of service to get your own room. Really? On the road. So things have changed, definitely. But I think we would have had a good chance to make the playoffs.
1: So you were having roommates even in the big leagues, huh, those first couple years?
0: My first year in the big leagues with Detroit, my roommate was Travis Fryman.
1: Okay. Did you have one in KC too?
0: Uh no. Nah, once uh once I got to KC I I believe I had my own. We got our own then.
1: Okay. That's cool.
0: Now I think well, I think after actually maybe the first little bit I think uh because uh ninety four, yeah, ninety four was a strike and ninety five I think I was gone. So
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Ninety five I had got got traded to uh or ninety five I was with the rose in ninety six I got traded to Seattle. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I think I had my own room, but all I know is you had to have like three years of service and my first roommate was Travis Ryman.
1: Very cool. Now uh other stuff in ninety four, the fourteen games in a row, do you remember that pretty well? What else sticks out about that year?
0: I just remember we had a good ball club and we were having fun, we were gelling and just a good time and Especially for me, you know, coming back from the year before. Yeah. What, what, you know, of not seeing much action.
1: What were you doing? Uh, so, when the strike hit, you know, what were you doing during that? Were you still working out hopeful? You know, were you living in Casey? What did you do during that time?
0: Uh, oh, oh, yeah. I was just trying to keep myself in shape just in case we, you know, reached an agreement and, you know, nothing happened. And, you know, what are you going to do? Just, you know, that was a tough year, but uh, a lot of fun, too.
1: Yeah, well, yeah. following '94, then so Hal McRae gets replaced by Bob Boone. I'm sure that was tough on you being so close to Hal and you know loving playing for him. Talk a bit about you know more about McRae and Boone both.
0: Well, I mean, I, I like them both. I just I think, like you said, I had a, a little bit better relationship with um, with Hal McCray. Um You know, I'm sure Bob Boone was the same way. You could go in his office, but and talk to him at any time. But I just felt a lot more comfortable with uh, Hal McRae and. Uh obviously they're both great players and great managers. So, but I just, you know, I think I was just a, a lot better player with um, Hal McCray.
1: You came back to KC in 95. So the strike's over. You had know, 49 games that year out of the bullpen. Uh, how weird, that that spring training, players I talked to all discuss how odd it was. It was a quick spring training just and just weird, you know, starting so late. What do you remember about that spring training?
0: Yeah, that it was. You know, you come in there and you... You didn't really have much time to get ready like you're used to, and, you know, you had to rush and get ready. But, um, you know, again, it is what it is. You have to do what you got to do, and uh, we were able to do that. But it it was weird, that's for sure. And you
1: guys hung around that year, too, in 95. A lot of young guys came up there towards the end. But you hung around. You were, like, only a couple games out of the wild card that September. Anything stick out about that year?
0: You know, just a – Another fun year for me. Uh, you know, all my years in Kansas City all stick out because i played with a lot of good guys, you know. And, and it's it's hard, you know, when you play baseball, it's hard to have friends, you know, because you come and you go. And, you know, there's a lot of guys from that club that I still keep in touch with. And, you know, that's what I've remembered, you know, the most of just good guys, you know, that i played with.
1: Now a lot, um, a lot of fans remember you, remember you for you keeping Dan Quisenberry's tradition alive out there with the with the hose, you know, that's spraying that's down people on the hot day. How you know, what was that like?
0: Oh man, fun stuff. I remember I think I was out there one day and I know it was smoldering out there and I I believe Montgomery said, Hey man, you wanna pick this fire hose up and I started uh spraying the people in the stands and man they started loving it. It became like a tradition. And uh, I remember we had a, a a foot we did a football um draft uh, fantasy football league yeah and i named my team the sprayer players (laughs) because i think the next day they had me in the uh the paper as the sprayer player (laughs) (laughs) so fun fun stuff man
1: yeah i love those days the
0: impact you put the impact you put on people man
1: yeah people still talk about it so i was having lunch with somebody Uh, the other day
0: and the the fans you know there was a, a fan club out there that you know uh they they're my friends today um his name's Bob Hill and and David Hill, who ended up being a, a commercial pilot for I think Delta Airlines, and they cre they they came up with a fan club called the Rusty Meacham Fan Club out in uh, GA <laughs> with my number and all in the back of the shirt. So that was cool.
1: Yep, the good old five dollar tickets. Get there early. Run to the front row. I me- I remember those days. <laughs> oh
0: man, I remember those it was fun. And it, it was funny because last year, year before when I went to the World Series, I went out there and I um. I stood out there, and man, has that field changed since I played there.
1: Beautiful, isn't it?
0: Oh, it's amazing. You know, the uh, the AstroTurf we played on, it just doesn't look the same. It's amazing.
1: Yeah, the seats are blue. It's beautiful. Blue. Um, oh, awesome. Grass. See- yeah, grass, yeah, too. Yeah, grass. So you uh, you came back to the Royals in 96, like we talked about, but that year was in Omaha before KC would trade you on June 21st to the Mariners for a minor league guy named Jose Amato. Now, before we talk about that trade, I wanted to ask you one quick question about Omaha and Rosenblatt Stadium. What sticks out about that time of your life and, and that those few months?
0: Oh, just uh, all the uh, the like the College World Series was played there, and and you know, to see all those stands there and and uh i remember we had to go on the road for like two weeks during the uh, world series so things like that stick out my mind it's bitter cold to start the year off
1: (laughs) always that's how it always is nothing
0: and nothing there
1: yeah Yeah. (laughs) except for the zoo did you go to the zoo ever
0: oh absolutely the zoo was right next to the stadium and I don't know where the stadium is now. I think they've moved it towards downtown. Is that true?
1: Well, the, for the College World Series, it is. They built two different ones. The, the O-Royals, or Storm Chasers, they call them now, are now playing out in Papillion, like out maybe 20 minutes from there.
0: I got you. See, that's something. I know they built a new stadium.
1: Yeah. It's gone. It's sad. No more Rosenblatt. Oh, you oh, drive by the – you go up that hill there, and it's not there anymore. It's kind of it's kind of sad. But
0: what, is, what is there today?
1: Nothing? Just more parking for the zoo. You know, they, they – uh, the Zoo Foundation bought it out. They still have a little small monument of where home plate was and a little small baseball-type field for the kids, which is kind of cool. So, man,
0: I, I remember that. I can picture that stadium right here when I used to walk in it every day.
1: Yeah, it was not, not the best facilities in the world for clubhouses and hitting facilities. Up, but, man, what a, you know, so many memories in, in that place.
0: Oh, great memories for me, especially playing under you know, Jeff Cox. I mean, uh, another great manager for me, man. I mean, just a guy that... All you had to do was be on time and play hard. And to me, that's not much to ask out of a player.
1: Yeah. Well, so you get traded to Seattle then. You're with yeah. Omaha. I'm assuming Cox gave you that info. I mean, where were you at when you got the news? And was that a sad moment for you? Bittersweet, I'm assuming?
0: Yeah, it was sad for me. But, uh, you know, I was down in AAA, and, you know, you only want to play in one place when you've uh, been up in the big leagues for a while. And, you know, uh, it was a good trade for me uh, and the Royals. I got an opportunity with the Mariners and. You know, I spent some time up there, had some good times with him and, you know, got a chance to play with Brandy Johnson, A-Rod. I mean, we had a great ball club there. And then, um, you know, 96, um, kind of after that year, I kind of bounced around the minor leagues and, you know, but I had a good time in Seattle. We had a good club.
1: Yeah, 97 to 99 had to be rough. I mean, you're bouncing around AAA. Boston, St. Louis, Pittsburgh, Houston, Cincinnati. I mean, were there ever any near misses, any times where you thought you were about to get the call up and didn't?
0: Uh, there were a few times, but, um, you know, I just knew that my job was to just keep my mouth shut. And I learned, I learned that from a guy by the name of Tony Fossus. He, he came mm-hmm. up to me one day and he goes, you know what, Rusty? He goes, I'm going to give you a little bit of advice. Just keep your mouth shut and do your job. and You know, that's all I ever tried to do because, you know, you're that guy that's always trying to be vocal and complaining. You know, that's not good stuff there. And I just tried to keep my mouth shut and do my job, and I knew if I did my job, eventually I'd get an opportunity, and I did.
1: Yeah, 2000 again. 32 years old, Houston Astros. You're getting five games there. How about your your stint with Houston?
0: You know, it was fun, but the only disappointment I had is I got there I got called up, and I had pitched awesome in AAA, and I get there, and I i don't do anything for the first two weeks. I just sit there. You know, and I'm making a good living, and you know, to me, I didn't care about the money, man. I wanted to be on the field. And it's funny, we're, we're flying on a plane, and I can't remember where we were going, and Jeff Bagwell, this is a true story, he calls me to the back of the plane, and Larry Durker was the manager at the time. He goes, does he even know you're on the team? <laughs> you know, kind of being funny. And I go, uh, I'm I, I think he knows I'm on the team, but uh, apparently he didn't because I sat there two weeks and didn't even see the mound, and then I got a chance. And, you know, if you look at my numbers, they're not good. I ended up with 11 ERA, but uh, I didn't pitch much. You know, I pitched like one time and then sit again, and I didn't even see the mound for two weeks. So hard to stay sharp.
1: Yikes. Well, then Tampa Bay the next year, so 24 games games for the Rays in 2001. You know, your favorite teammates in Tampa, your favorite memories of pitching in Tampa.
0: Ah, you know, played with Vinny Castillo, the crime dog, Fred McGriff. Oh, yeah. Uh, I get there, and Larry Rothschild's the manager, and then Hal McCray takes over.
1: That's right. He did.
0: So, Hal McCray was my manager for a little while. Uh, Anyway, I ended up, I I had some struggles, and they sent me down to AAA, and I still look back on this today, and I just wonder maybe it was because I was in the wrong place at the time, but. I got sent down to AAA, and uh, I can't remember who the GM was. I think it was Chuck Lamar. Matter of fact, I know it was. And I got sent down to um, Durham. So I go down to Durham, and I go, you know what, man? I told myself, I'm going to go down there, and I'm going to prove these guys wrong. So I go down to Durham, and I save 15 out of 15 games, and have a point, uh, I don't know, 7-6 ERA. And never got called up and never played professional ball again. Man. And I look back on it today, and maybe it was just wrong place, wrong time.
1: Yeah. And and don't a lot of organizations kind of start stereotyping guys, too, as, oh, he's just filler at this point, or, oh, he's too old now, or, oh, we gave him a lot of money. Yeah,
0: And you know what? Look at uh, the guy for the Mets today. He's 42 years old, Bartolo Colon. Yeah, yeah. And I was only like 33, but you know what? Baseball doesn't owe me a thing. It's good to me, and I've had a great ride, and I wouldn't change a thing because yeah. I've laid it all out on the line every day I ever stepped on that field. And the fans in Kansas City, they remember me because I played my heart out.
1: And you sprayed them with a hose, too.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. And they know I used to hustle on the field and off. And I used to talk to the ball like the uh, the bird fidget. <laughs> yeah. So they, they like the animation out
1: there. Absolutely. Well, a couple more about your independent career then. So you did you did go on pitch and you pitched Long Island in O two, Nashua in O three, Yuma in 05 and oh six. But I wanted to ask you about two thousand ten. So Tijuana, you're forty two years old, you pitched one game there. Is this a publicity <laughs> thing or were you like trying to come back at that point?
0: Actually, you know, I was just doing it to have fun. You know, you you know that, you know, I, I, didn't, I don't have the arm strength anymore. I didn't have the arm strength. You know, my arm feels good, but the ball just doesn't come out. It was just a fun thing. And Alex Arias was, uh, I believe, the manager at the time. And I just got in there to soak some innings up and help our staff out.
1: Okay, okay. That's, that's pretty cool. A L-
0: lot of fun, though.
1: Yeah, and one other question before we close it out here is uh, uh, you were a pitching coach for the Vermont Lake Monsters for a couple oh. of seasons. And I wanted to ask you, I've always wanted to go to Vermont. How pretty is Vermont and what was that like?
0: Vermont was awesome for me and I actually spent two years there uh, with them. I had guys like Jordan Zimmerman on my team, who's an all-star. I had uh, Brad Peacock. I had Tommy Maloney. Espinosa from the Nationals, um, Derek Norris, Steven Souza Jr.
1: Man. I mean, we had
0: a ball club. We, we had a couple of guys, I think the ones were the Phillies. And great place. I coached with Darnell Coles and Tony Tarasco. And my team set franchise records in strikeouts, and we set a franchise record for ERA, and I got a call my second year. We're going in a different direction.
1: Uh, man. Let, what do you
0: do? You know, I mean – so I've been sitting around for the past, like, what, six years, seven years, and I'm hoping when Darnell Coles gets a job in the big leagues that I go with him because I'm really hungry to get back in the game and and try to give some of my knowledge to these players, uh, mainly the middle toughness part of the game.
1: That's great. Oh, Okay, so you are interested in coming back to coaching at some point then?
0: Oh, I'd lo- I'd love to be coaching, but, you know, I've interviewed with the Mets like four times, and, you know, I didn't get the job, and... You know, I I just think I'm a perfect guy to be a coach, not to be talky, but I just know how to relate to players, and I know how to get the best out of them, and how to teach them how to be confident. Because I'm going to tell you what, baseball is a marathon, not a sprint, because it is a long, grueling year.
1: Yeah, and you're a fun guy too, and people like fun. I I think fun equals loose, which equals success. You know,
0: love to have fun. I, I got a ton of energy that I could give the players, so hopefully somebody out there gives Rusty Meacham a chance to get back in the game that he loves to be around.
1: Love that. What did you like most about living in Kansas City as a city? What area of town did you live in, and did you have any favorite hotspots or places you liked about the city?
0: Lo- love the people in the city, awesome people. Uh, love the uh, the downtown area, the plaza. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, my favorite place to eat there was... the. Um, uh the houston's yes yes love that place and just you know a lot of great memories there uh great people and i lived in i lived actually in lee summit overland park and kansas city kansas probably my favorite uh place to live was overland park and that's where a lot of players live i think jeff montgomery still makes his home out there
1: oh yeah he's still
0: at her yeah that's and i believe uh joe carter
1: Yep, mm-hmm, yep. Who, who almost signed with you guys, I think, like in 94 or 92, 93, right around there at some point.
0: Absolutely. I remember that big home run he's known for.
1: Yep. <laughs> How can you not, right, Mitch Williams? Uh, but,
0: yeah, but but I tell you what, um, again, thank you to all you fans out there for the support you gave me in my career, man. And I'm going to be back, hopefully, opening day to get announced under the field alumni uh this next season so thank you for uh all the encouragement you gave me in my career and jeff montgomery mark grubelzo thank you for making me the guy i am today
1: yeah it'll be a special opening day too sunday night baseball the mets you know getting our world series rings in front of the mets that'll be an unforgettable one right
0: absolutely and you know after 30 years awesome so and they got the team to get back again next year
1: yeah, well, let's hope they do. Well, you know, I want to thank you for uh, for all your time, Rusty, and, and seriously, you know, growing up, I loved watching you out of that pen. You were always exciting, attacked oh, the hitters, you. and got the most, and you know, fun guy. And I'm glad you were royal, and I'm glad that we'll be hopefully seeing you opening day.
0: Oh, thank you for saying that, man, because it was enjoyable, that's for sure. And thank you again, fans. Without you, I'm nothing. So thank you. Absolutely. Okay. Well, take care, Rusty. Stay in touch. Rusty, stay in touch. All right. Thank you again, buddy.